Hello and welcome to the 25th regular episode of Batman Nightcast, the show that chronicles the most dynamic comic book adventures of the Caped Crusader in, really, whatever era we feel like covering now. I'm Ryan Daly. I'm Chris Franklin. And this episode, if you were so inclined, could be considered the beginning of Nightcast Phase 2. We have suspended the original plan for this podcast to index all of the Batman comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Note that we waited until after we covered all the sucky ones to make this decision. (laughs) Now we're going to find our bat joy. That means, and I know this is a novel idea, reading good comics. And there are a lot of good, even great Batman comics. That's kind of why he's our favorite superhero. So, no more torturing ourselves with less-than-stellar Batman comics. Going forward, Batman Nightcast is all about the good stuff, and we are starting here with Detective Comics 469 and 470, the issues that begin Steve Englehart's legendary, but only one-year-long run on the title. Chris, are you ready for this? I am so ready for the new Nightcast adventures. Uh... This is it's like the animated series, although, you know, I think I think the first the first part of the Batman animated series was superior to what the comics we covered on a lot of the comics we covered on Nightcast before. But, uh, you know, we've got new designs. Uh, you know, most people will like it, but uh, they'll question the fact that Ryan has no lips. <laughs> um, you know, and he's why is he blue? And you know, he's got beady eyes now, and things like that. But other than that, I think everybody's going to really like it. So yeah, I'm real excited. You backed it up. You saved yourself there because when you first made the analogy, I was like, I don't think that follows at all. <laughs> but, um, before we actually get to these comics, uh, we do have a little bit of Batman news to discuss. Um, Warner Brothers and Matt Reeves, the director, have dropped a few pictures, including a sort of promotional screen test video uh, and then some set photos of what the actor Robert Pattinson will look like in the Batman costume in the forthcoming movie, The Batman. We'll sort of take it in order because first they released the the promo, the screen test video short, and then they came out with some uh, on-set video and photos. So first, just looking at the video, what did you think when you saw it? You know, I I liked what I saw in it initially. I, I love the music. The, it's, it's Michael G, Giacchino uh, music, and uh, you know I like the dramatic buildup. And uh, I will say this: Pattinson has the squarest jaw of anybody who has yet to play Batman, <laughs> even squarer than Adam West. And uh, if Dick Sprang taught us taught us anything, is that Batman's got a square jaw, right? So I liked what I saw. You know, there was a couple things like. You know, new different things like the kind of the collar around the the cow, uh, the kind of the stitching on the cow. I mean, this the, between the stitching and the collar, I haven't seen a lot of people say this, but it kind of gave me a Gotham by Gaslight kind of. I thought vibe. that too. Okay, yeah. good, good. I wasn't the only one. That's good. Yeah, it had the kind of like cloaked look about it, like the like the hood turned down and everything. Yeah, that collar. Yeah, yeah the the only thing, and and I will get into this, uh, the bat symbol. Being different at first, I, I liked it because it didn't. It doesn't have the ears on it, so it's like okay. So this is like early Bob Kane Batman with the bat with no ears on his chest, you know. But we'll get we'll get into the the bat. What did you think of it when you when you first saw this? 
because of the way it's shot, like it first shows up where you just kind of get the image of the chest, the torso, and like the image. And I didn't like the new body, the, their bat symbol. I didn't like the fact that it looked like he was wearing armor and shoulder pads and things like that. I'm like, mm, I'm not happy about this. And then it panned up, and I liked his chin, and I liked the look. The, the cowl itself had kind of a leathery, old-timey, again, kind of going back to like that Gotham by Gaslight or Master of the Future, kind of like an old Gothic look. We didn't mm-hmm. see his ears. It cut off that, and, and with the red tint, I think that's why me and a lot of other people are like, is this a Daredevil movie? Um, <laughs> but I thought the cowl looked really good, and I was like, I'm not crazy about the bat symbol in the chest piece, but maybe we'll, we'll see how it actually plays out in the movie heard some people speculating, and I don't know if it was confirmed, but they said the bat symbol looked like it was put together from pieces of a gun, and some people are saying like he actually broke down the gun that killed his parents to make that bat symbol. I have no idea if that's the case or not. If that is the case, boy, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was overall, I was like, you know what? I'm interested in this. This has me intrigued, which is what it's supposed to do. I, let, let's see this. Cut to a few days later, they actually leaked some set videos of um, Pattinson's or Pattinson's stunt double riding around on a motorcycle in like Gotham Cemetery in the rain. Um, and you can tell it's rain because the ground is slick and he actually falls off during his dismount of the motorcycle at one point when he brings it to a stop. Yeah. Um, but we see the stunt double in the costume without a cape, uh, and we get much more of a sense of what the, the costume looks like. And I don't like it. <laughs> uh, I, I can't. I can't say any more than that. I just. I don't like it. And I think you may have co- made made the same comment that I had. I was like, he looks like he's wearing hockey pads, which was the joke from The Dark Knight. He like, why is he so armored up? And I, I don't know if we've talked about this or not because I, this was something that I've kind of been thinking. Like, I really want a Batman movie or Batman show to go back where it just looks like he's wearing like, sweatsuit underneath the cape and cowl, like, like the cloth, like the, the old David Mazzuchelli look. And, and, I mean, well, basically every comic book version of that, like, prior, prior to 1990. I was like, what is wrong with that look? Like, why are they afraid to do that? And every Batman costume now, like, looks like he's got this... It's like armored carapaces, like, to protect him. And I was like, okay, what does that say about the character? Well, it says that Batman is human, and the only way he's going to survive a fight against a dozen armed thugs is if he can protect himself from stab wounds and gunshots. And I'm like, okay, that's what I don't like. The idea that Batman would put himself into a position where he just has to fight his way through these things. I'm like, that's why Batman is coming off like a bruiser and a boxer in all these movies, and you're not getting the tactician and the genius level, the way he attacks these guys in with smoke and shadows and everything like that. Like, he shouldn't need that armor because they should never be able to lay a hand on him. And that's mm. what's bothering me. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, one of the stories, the stories we're going to read today, Batman does just get into a brawler fight with somebody he probably shouldn't be doing fighting with <laughs> yeah, in, that, yeah. in that manner, oddly enough. But yeah, for the most part, Batman pre, uh, well, pre, pre the movies and pre, uh, you know, the way people interpreted Dark Knight Returns wasn't just, you know, beat somebody and, you know, break bones and, you know, maim people, basically. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I feel like the Affleck suit was as close as Hollywood's going to let us get to the non-armored Batman costume. I mean, I, I think you could tell that the suit was, you know, armored, like interiorly, uh, interiorly armored. Um, but I, I think, you know, that was pretty, I mean, lots of, lots of problems with those movies aside, 
the look of that was pretty well the comic book look. You know, I mean, it was gray and black. And, um, you know, that was I mean, that, you know, it's kind of easy to forget because of all the the instantaneous controversy <laughs> with BBS once it came out. Right. But th- that look was pretty well the, you know, the the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns Batman on the screen. And, uh, you know, of which other than than Miller's uh, style, art style, wasn't a huge departure from the comics that came before, you know, as far as the actual design of the suit. So I think part of the reason they're going doubling down on the armor is just to distance themselves from that look. But I wish they'd done it in a different way. I wish, like you said, I wish they'd done it in more of a almost a, a Spider-Man homecoming his his uh, you know his homemade suit that type of thing. You know, and 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 I know this isn't Batman Year One, but you know it's they're not doing like he's apparently supposed to have been Batman for a while. But yeah, I would have rather seen something more homegrown and yeah, the hockey passing the things on his uh, gauntlets is the part that really puts it over that it's just too over armored and. And my son Andrew speculated that it looks quite a bit like the shock gauntlets that you see in uh, the Arkham games. And in fact, the whole look kind of evokes some of the later Arkham game armor. So, you know, he thinks maybe that's what it is. And I said, well, maybe it's maybe that's his grapple. Maybe he's got his grapple in his gauntlets like uh, as bats or, uh, you know, or something. But, yeah, I'm not crazy about it. I think it's kind of like you. I mean, I, did, which I hadn't thought of that, but now I'm here and it's like I don't wear hockey pads. You know, I just I hear that. Uh, but uh, the one thing that makes me think though is that when I first saw Bale's second costume from The Dark Knight in a photo, not in the movie, I wasn't real crazy about it either. I felt like, well, it's now they've moved it away from even looking humanoid, and now it's just all these different hard angles, and it's a pretty abstract design of a of a human physique. Versus the more traditional, almost Keaton-like one he had in Batman Begins. Um, So, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to, like, just come out and say I absolutely hate it. I'm not, it's not, I'm not a humongous fan of it, but I'm willing to give him a chance. But the whole gun thing, now my son Andrew thinks that's the coolest thing. He thinks that makes perfect sense for him to do that. That's, you know, that, that's like tells his whole you know, what his whole mission is right there on his chest, that he's taken what killed his parents and and he's 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 using it as his symbol to say, you know, I'm going to stop this from happening, which, I, you know, I, I get that. But I guess I, and I told him, I said, it's going to take me a while to come around to it if that's the way it is. Uh, there is a I don't know where this comic. Do you know where this is from? This panel that shows him melting the gun down in the comics to uh, put into his armor. Is that like a rebirth thing or I don't know. I've I've seen it floating around. It's it looks like he's putting it into the uh, the Bronze Age suit with the you know the yellow oval and stuff. So I don't know when that's from. If that was from, it's from more recent comics. It's not anything I recognize. But they show Bruce Wayne in the comics melting the gun down and and integrating it into his very non armor looking costume. I guess it's it, it's underneath the cloth or, or something. You know, um, but uh, that I've seen that floated around since this whole his bat symbol is a gun is the gun thing and of course we know that mike w Barr <laughs> had the gun bruce wayne kept the gun inside his parents <laughs> the frame of his gigantic portrait of his parents and kept it there for years until he decided to pull it out just because the reaper whooped his ass one night uh in in batman year two so yeah i, I think that's part of 
the gun coming back up is a trigger for you and me. It's, it's not no no pun intended, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's a trigger for you and me. Was like, oh god, Batman year two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I want to be open minded about the movie because for one thing, I trust Matt Reeves. I've liked his Planet of the Apes movies. I think he's a good director, and I think he'll tell a good story. My one concern is like like everything he said. It, this is a more psychologically probing character study of the Batman that they're going back to a more grounded like origin story type of feel. Now I've heard like it borrows elements from year one, but it's set in his second year, so it's not really necessarily the origin story. But he's like a very new urban myth type thing, and I just I was like, we just saw that like not long ago, and yeah. I don't know. We I, I'm being open minded. Um, but I just, I don't know. That's the, A lot of things that I'm hearing about the movie are not the Batman that I want to watch right now. But, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's Batman fans. If we've, we've, we've gotten used to never, like, feeling 100%. And I, I, the Batman is so such a huge mm-hmm. character and, and uh, you know, one of the biggest fictional characters of all time, really. And it, it, we've gotten used to... You can't please everybody, but I think the majority of Batman fans have, have gotten used to them not sticking to a particular version of the character and just adapting that. And it's like, you know, it's it, it that I mean, the closest, honestly, probably the closest we've got is the is is BVS. Uh, but, you know, then they they transported the the Batman, the disgruntled Batman of of years into the future, into the modern and it introduced him as the Batman for the modern DCEU. And I, you know, and then, you know, calamity ensued. So, you know, <laughs> so I don't I don't know. It's like you, 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 we got our cake and then it tasted all weird, you know, so. <laughs> You know, the whole point of this new episode, Branding, was to find our joy with Batman, and I'm depressing myself already just thinking about this stuff. So, well, let's go talk about good Batman comics. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to take a quick promo break right here, people, and then when we come back, we will talk about Detective Comics 469. Stick around. I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. TLU Cast brings you Justice League Season 2. Woo! Back in business. The Justice League faces their greatest foes. This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. Dark Side. Brainiac. Dr. Destiny. Lex Luthor. Amazo. Vandal Savage. Eclipso. The Joker. Harley Quinn. The Royal Flush Gang. The Secret Society of Supervillains. And themselves? Dale Ucast Season 2, available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and at firewaterpodcast.com. Always have to be the hero, don't you? Right back at you. Detective Comics 469 is cover dated May 1977, which was a pretty historic month for geek culture, by the way. The actual on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, is February 22nd. The book cost 30 cents, and for that you got two stories in this issue that added up to 17 pages of content. The cover, drawn by Jumaparo, shows a battered and beaten Batman held up by the cowl by a walking, talking X-ray of a man, whose blackened skeleton is visible beneath his skin, which glows with fiery energy. From a pair of word balloons, the man says, Gotham City is to blame for turning me into living phosphorus, so I'll destroy the city, Batman, beginning with you. What do you think of the cover? Well... You know, I was I was alive in 1977, but this is 
I don't think I have a Batman comic that goes quite back this far. So I, I didn't see this one on the on the shelves. I would buy this comic instantaneously. I mean, one, it's got a skeleton. <laughs> it's got a glowing skeleton guy that's, you know, beaten Batman. It, you know, Batman's defeated. It's drawn by Jim Aparo. It looks great. I mean, yeah. How could you not buy this comic? I mean, it's a striking, it's a striking visual, uh, Doctor Phosphorus. Uh, it, it leaps out at you. You got to buy this comic. That's that's what I think. It's Jim Aparo, so you know there's a, a guaranteed certain quality of it. But just like the design for Doctor Phosphorus that we see on this cover, I, as soon as I saw him, I, I loved him, and I didn't see him in this for issue first. But whenever I saw that character design, I'm like, he's he's basically just glowing, and you see his skeleton in black, like that sort of negative X-ray version, and I love it because it makes you think of death and poison and toxicity, and it's just a great kind of visual counter to, to something that fighting the Batman. He could, honestly, he could be a utility villain for almost any any hero in the DC universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and just the name Dr. Phosphorus sounds really cool. So. Yeah, it does. <laughs> the title font for this era I've always kind of liked um, because it shows Batman kind of in profile uh, uh, with his cape and his cowl, and the cape is spread out so that uh, it kind of like it's almost like it's pulled by the wind or something, and we get the logo Batman's Detective Comics in the space of the cape. And I just kind of I like that that title layout. Yeah, I've always liked that. That was actually the logo on the book when I started really buying Detective Comics a lot. I, I when I remember first picking it picking up Detective, seems like I had some issues of Batman before this. I, I think that's what it was. I think I had Batman issues around this time, but I didn't have any Detective for a while, and I don't know if that was a newsstand thing or what, but. When Detective absorbed Batman family and became a dollar comic, not too long after this, um, it had that same logo. And uh, to me, that was the Detective Comics logo. And, and looking back on it now, I see that the actual detective part of Detective Comics is actually the, the 60s logo from the New Look era. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that 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 uh, the font. And uh, But yeah, I love the, the Batman, the swooping cape. I wonder who drew that, who drew the Batman... It almost looks like Ernie Chan because he drew some covers before this uh, around this time and when they introduced this look. And uh, I kind of wonder if that's maybe an Ernie Chan or Ernie Chua, as he's sometimes called. But Ernie Ernie Chan was what he should have been called. They just wrote his name down wrong or something. Uh, but if that was uh, – that's his because it kind of looks like his. But it's – yeah, it's really sharp. It's one of my favorite – it's actually one of my favorite Batman logos. Yeah. The first story, By Death's Eerie Light, is written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Walt Simonson, inked by Al Milgram, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Batman returns to his penthouse apartment in the Wayne Foundation building, greeted by his ever-faithful butler carrying a tray of food and a glass of water. Alfred barely has enough time to comment on the number of sirens he has heard this night, before suddenly, and shockingly, he falls to the ground. Batman races to his side, but Alfred is unconscious and unresponsive to CPR. Batman calls for an ambulance, but the dispatcher tells him that all of the ambulances in Gotham City are busy dealing with some kind of epidemic. Undaunted, Batman lifts Alfred in his arms and takes him down in the elevator to the hidden garage, where, moments later, the Batmobile roars to life. Outside the hospital, Batman makes a quick change into his civilian disguise and carries Alfred inside as millionaire Bruce Wayne, with all the special treatment a man of his privileged position affords. 
After Alfred is admitted, Bruce changes back into his Batman costume and re-enters the hospital through the window to meet the attending doctor, who tells Batman that 50 patients have suffered the same mysterious illness within the last hour. Batman sees Police Commissioner Gordon arguing with the hospital's chief of staff, Dr. Bell. The doctor isn't happy with the police's inability to catch the person responsible for the epidemic and threatens to use his position on Gotham City Council to make Gordon's life even more difficult. Gordon shows Batman a note they received from the sinister culprit. Phosphorus burns when exposed to the air. The good citizens of Gotham City have earned my righteous wrath, and they will burn for it. For I am Dr. Phosphorus. Batman returns to his penthouse in the Wayne building to search for any other clues. He finds Alfred's jacket is dry, meaning the butler didn't go out in the rain. The disease must have come into the apartment, but Batman cannot figure what might have carried it to Alfred but not to Bruce. He takes a secret elevator to a lower part of his lair, a fully furnished room that replicates his father's study in the old Wayne Manor. He meditates on the problem, but no solution comes to him, until he goes to pour himself a drink of water. That's the connection. Batman calls Commissioner Gordon to warn him that the poison is in Gotham's drinking water. But that's too late for Gordon, who just drank some and succumbs while on the phone. After the Deputy Commissioner Gordon has Gotham's water system shut down and the doctors go to work on a cure, Batman goes to the city reservoir as the sun comes up. The villainous Dr. Phosphorus is waiting for him, with his irradiated skin translucent but glowing with a greenish halo over his blackened skeleton. Everything burns at Phosphorus's touch, as the Batman discovers the first time he lays a restraining hand on the Doctor. He even burns when he defends Dr. Phosphorus's attacks. Needing to protect himself from physical contact, Batman tears off part of his cape and wraps it around his fist. With that cushion, he throttles the Doctor without damaging himself. In desperation, Dr. Phosphorus tackles the Batman into the reservoir, but his skin won't burn underwater. The Doctor lands one last stunning blow on Batman and then escapes, vowing to kill the Batman the next time they meet. A bruised and badly burned Batman stands up on the edge of the reservoir, catching his breath and preparing himself for the eventual fateful encounter. That ends the first story. The second part of this issue, The Origin of Dr. Phosphorus, features the same creative team. Later that night, Dr. Phosphorus enters the bedroom of Dr. Bell and reveals himself to be Bell's former colleague, Dr. Sartorius. Bell had reason to believe that Sartorius was dead, and Phosphorus recounts his origin. Like Bell, Sartorius was a physician as well as a member of Gotham City Council and its exclusive tobacconists club. There he met the head of the city council, boss Rupert Thorne. Thorne convinced the doctor to invest all of his money in a nuclear power plant for Gotham, but when public support turned against the idea, Sartorius was forced to build the plant offshore. After the plant was built, Sartorius went there to inspect it alone after hours. The reactor core suffered a meltdown and exploded. Sartorius dived behind sandbags, the only thing that saves him, albeit barely. The irradiated sand, silicon on the periodic table, is charged one more atom, turning into phosphorus in a scientific explanation that makes total sense in a comic book. <laughs> Back in Bell's room, Dr. Phosphorus says he will spare Bell if Gotham City Council comes down on Batman, keeping the Dark Knight out of his hair while he exacts his revenge on the city. Dr. Bell accepts the offer and calls Boss Thorne to make the arrangement. 
to be continued. All right, Chris, what did you think of this one? Oh, a good Batman comic. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is very exciting. There's there's a there's a level of excitement in this. I mean, even it's it's kind of it's kind of great that we started out with um, with this one because somebody I don't know who it was. If it was Julius Schwartz or Engelhard himself knew that this was something special because I mean uh, they they deemed this in the you know over the credits the Batman you've been waiting for. Uh, so it's it's a it's it's also the Batman we've been waiting for uh, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. So. Uh, I think it, it, it's 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 perfect symmetry that that we're doing this, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, there's, you know, I, I guess um, you know, Englehart had uh, been primarily a Marvel writer. Um, he had uh, written the Avengers and the Defenders and and uh, lots of other Marvel comics, and he had came over to DC a few months earlier and it had actually written Batman in uh, Justice League. He'd been writing Justice League, and then now he's taken on. Uh, Batman and Detective, and uh, he did write Batman before. Uh, actually, the one he ri- ri- written was one of the most uh, acclaimed Batman stories. It doesn't get reprinted a lot from uh, Detective Number Four Fifty Nine, Night of the Stalker, uh, with art by Sal Amendola. And uh, so he had some Batman cred before, but I mean, I, th- I think there was a there was definitely something in the air that said this is going to be uh, a special run. And yeah, they it's delivering here in this first chapter. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember back when, um, at the beginning of last year, I think I did a Find Your Joy special on Captain America and the Falcon, um, and my guest Delvin was just kind of asking, like, what else Stephen Englehart had written, and I totally blanked, like, I totally, like, mind fart, just completely flubbed it, and I was like, you know, he wrote a lot, but I think he was probably best known for Green Lantern Corps and, like, the Millennium Event, Totally screwed. Why the hell was that the one thing that came to my mind? Um, Yeah, he had he had written the Avengers, West Coast Avengers, Justice League of America, as you said, uh, the Defenders, and Silver Surfer. In fact, like for a very long time, he was the only person other than Stan Lee who was allowed to write the Silver Surfer character. Uh, He wrote him in a few issues of the Defenders, and then he took over the Silver Surfer series in the late '80s. So yeah, that was that was kind of a big deal. And yeah, so originally. We had planned to start the issues after this when Marshall Rogers takes over, and and somebody in the comments and there, you you also kind of mentioned is like should we do the the two issues before this because you know it's got Walt Simonson art it's pretty good and the the one thing we we're kind of thinking well these two issues they're summed up really nicely in four seventy one uh, the first one with Marshall Rogers so we could skip this story and I was like let me think about it. And I read these two issues, and as soon as I got, as I was reading this one, I was like, you know what? We're seeing Batman be a detective, and I feel like I haven't seen that in a long time. So I really just want to dive into that. I I like that he's going back to his apartment, even if it's pretty brief, and it's not necessarily the greatest detective skills. We see him going back, we see him looking for clues. He's checking the jacket, he's like, okay... Alfred didn't go outside, so he couldn't have contracted this disease outside. It had to come in here. What did it's like? Okay, it wasn't on the newspaper because I handled that too. He's thinking about it. He's he's putting these pieces together. Again, mm-hmm. it's not Sherlockian de- deductive work, but just the fact that he is using his brain and making these connections. I just felt like I haven't seen that in a long time, and it was really kind of nice and refreshing to do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is this is uh, it's it's detective comics and uh, <laughs> and Batman's acting as a detective. Yeah, definitely. I, I I really enjoyed that. I 
I got to say, you know, one thing, one thing before we get too far in, uh, when you read the credits, did you read this from the Shadow of the Batman uh, reprint series? Yes. Okay, and it listed Jerry Serpy as the colorist on the first chapter? For this one, yes. And then, okay, okay. Wait, because... Does it say Marshall Rogers on part two? No, it said Marshall Rogers on part... It says on DC... issue. Well, on the DC Universe app... Uh, which is where I read it because this is like the one issue of this run that I don't have, or I, I think I might have it, but I can't find it. Uh, it actually lists uh, M. Rogers as colorist on the splash page where Alfred's fallen over. Uh, so I don't know if if Jerry Serpy was the original colorist and Marshall Rogers recolored this for some kind of collection, and that's what they've got on the on the DC Universe app. But at some point, Marshall Rogers, like himself, actually colored this one, which is interesting. So I wonder if they uh, did that for the Strange Apparitions trade paperback? Maybe. That might be what it is. And since that's out of print right now, um, yeah. so yeah, which is ridiculous that that book should ever go out of print. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was weird. I'm like, oh, so, and now I see on Mike's Amazing World, it lists Jerry Serpy as the as the colors too. So yeah, there's just some weird because I was thinking, oh, that's cool. Marshall Rogers was in on this from the beginning on this run as the colorist, but apparently it was a it was later on he did the he did the colors he redid the colors. So <laughs> yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, I I don't have the original issues for this one, but I was able to track it down. There was a mini, but even before Strange Apparitions was published, uh, they reprinted the the Inglehart run in a five issue miniseries called Shadow of the Batman. Um, and I, I, I had a comic book store order this issue for me special, and they're, yeah, yeah, we'll have it to you in a few days. And I go in there, and they have Batman Shadow of the Bat, issue one. Oh. And they're like, is this the one you wanted? I'm like, nope, that is not what I wanted. I was like, I have that issue, and I don't want another. Um, <laughs> but eventually they realized that the, the store that sent it to them had made the mistake that had gotten the, the title wrong, so they corrected it, and I was able to get this issue. So Yeah, I remember when that well, – actually, I don't remember when that came out. I, that was one of those uh, miniseries that came out that was direct market only, and at that time I had no access to the comics. This was like, what, 84, 85 when that came out Yeah, or this something? one, the Indicia says 85. Okay. And I, I hadn't got to a comic shop yet. I didn't even know there was one anywhere near me, and I never saw those. And I've never actually seen those in the wild. I've seen them online. I, I knew they existed. Uh, I'd like to have them just for the covers, you know, with nothing else. But uh, I've never, I've never run across them. So yeah, one of these days I gotta get a set of those. Yeah, I've seen issue five a couple places, and for some reason I've never gotten it. And I think that that might end up. Would that be the reprint of uh, Sign of the Joker? And- I don't know. Did they go into the Lynn Ween run in that miniseries too and just continue the Marshall Rogers into the, the Lynn Ween Clayface story? Or, I don't uh, remember. I don't either. But we're talking about everything but this comic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not it, it's not like we usually do where we're trying to avoid talking about the comic. We actually want to talk about this comic. But yeah. uh, but how about that Walt Simonson art? That's pretty sweet, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny. I I mean, some panels I really recognize it, and some I don't. This was fairly early in his career. It wasn't like the like the first year or something. But this was before he did a lot of the stuff that he was most known for. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I know him for better from like a lot of his Marvel work, um, Thor in particular, and then like X Factor and some other things. Um, I, I recently read his Fantastic Four run, which I thought had a lot of energy and a lot of good ideas, but didn't quite click for me. 
But I like it. I mean, I like the panels just when Batman is sitting there unmasked in his chair and everything like that and goes to get the drinking water. I just like how I'm trying to think of who this Bruce Wayne reminds me of or what uh, what artist or style it's. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard to say because he looks a little different in this issue. It seems like Milgram's inks are a little heavier than in the that second could issue. Be it. Yeah. And there's a little more Simonson in the next one we're going to cover. But as Simonson had drawn Batman in uh, him and Archie Goodwin had done the Manhunter series yeah. in Detective. And he drew Batman in the final chapter of that, uh, which was in Detective 443. And then he also drew uh, issue 450, uh, The Cape and Cow Death Trap, written by Elliot S. Magan, which actually was adapted into an episode of Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so he had dr- drawn Batman officially twice before this. And, I mean, his... You know, it's it's very dynamic. Around this time, like in Batman, you had kind of, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to throw off on these guys, but you had kind of journeyman comic art from guys like John Kalman. That um, was he was drawing Batman around this time, and and uh, you know, it, it was solid stuff, but it wasn't anything spectacular. This has definitely got a energy and an intent for design that you know, not not quite Simonson like he'd be on Thor, but I mean that that opening splash page of Alfred falling over. I mean, it looks like Alfred like leaped from the, like three <laughs> stories up, you know, I mean, his legs, he, his, you know, his, uh, his legs like up toward the ceiling and his elbows down below the panel. So it looks like, you know, Alfred has cliff dived into the Wayne foundation penthouse somehow. Um, and there's fo- the phones knocking over. I mean, it's the books and, and there's, you know, the glass of water and the tray. And, and I mean, he even works the Batman logo into the wall and, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really sharp. And of course, you know Simonson. If you know his store, he does great capage, as oh, yeah. I, as I think Michael Bailey would say. And the, there's some awesome Batman capage uh, here. It's not you know ridiculous McFarlane capage, but it's uh, it, yeah, it's it, he he always has Batman's cape in mind in every panel. It's not just some afterthought hanging off his neck. It, very much so. <laughs> On page seven. Page seven, it's the third panel. It's the middle panel right in the bottom mm-hmm. part. That extreme close-up of Batman's face when he's got the, the he's like holding the cape up, covering the the bottom of his face, and you just see his eye and everything else, they're all highlighted in green from the from Dr. Phosphorus's flame. I love that image and I swear that looks like it was so influential on like Frank Miller and Mazzuchelli and everything like that. It reminds me so much of that type of like image of, of Batman from year one or even Dark Knight Returns or even a little bit of like the, the Bruce Tim verse type of thing. There's just something oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. Where I see mm-hmm. just like th- those highlights with just the eye, but everything else covered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could, that, that, if you took the word balloon out, that image, that could be like an icon for Batman. Yeah. yeah right. It's, it, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and I gotta say, we see Doctor Phosphorus there on the last panel of page seven, but that panel on page eight in the upper left-hand corner of the close-up of his face, mm. holy cow, that is awesome! And I, <laughs> that's the best that character ever looked right there. I, I just, uh, I mean, I love the design, but there's a lot more like detail in his in his uh, all the lines around the skull that just, I mean, you can actually get to you can almost get the texture of the bone. Uh, it's, it's, it's just really, it's, 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 it's horrifying. He, he kind of almost looks like, uh, if he had a big brain on top, he looks like a Mars attacks Martian, you know, almost. <laughs> it's, it's it, but it, but not, not in a goofy way, you know, he just, you know, he's going to like a, a disintegrate a dog or something, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, 
it, it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and the fight. I mean, the fight scene with, like we said, Batman maybe not being quite as smart as he should be. Touching this guy, it looks like he's on fire. But right. all the figures when he when they get into this battle, they're thick, and uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of Kirby type energy in this fight. I mean, it's it's you know, you you weren't used to seeing Batman actually portrayed as being quite this muscular and thick. And, you know, he just, I mean, these guys look like almost like He-Man figures <laughs> going at it, which is not a bad thing, especially with the, the skeleton, you know, like um, Skeletor, the lighter Scareglow character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just it's just fantastic. I, I love the fact that, you know, Batman does kind of figure out, well, I better wrap my hands up with my cape, you know, at some point to, to fight this guy off. But, yeah, it's, I love it. Yeah, it's a cool fight. We see, you know, Batman just, he wasn't prepared. He didn't know what he was going up against, so he kind of gets worked a little bit in the beginning, and, and he's going to suffer for those burns for a little while. That's that's not just going to be forgotten instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this first kind of adventure is just like an 11-pager, but then we get this backup, and it's told as a separate chapter, a separate thing, as a, a six-page origin of Dr. Phosphorus that picks up exactly where the last one left off, and it kind of continues, but it's, it's apart from the main story. And we see his origin in... Boy, I don't know if it's Inglehart's fault or somebody in Gotham, but they just, I don't think they know how power plants are supposed to be built. <laughs> I don't think the reactor core should be installed while the building is still under construction. <laughs> and I don't think that's something that should be running while people are just gone for the day. And, and you shouldn't have a civilian just wandering around the platform without any other security or any other maintenance or cruiser or anything. Like, I was like, this seems like. Well, yes, of course, the, of course it would melt down and, and almost kill him like this. Like, if you run a power plant that badly, this is what happens. This is just like this is the same security detail that let Rick Jones ride into the Gamma Bomb test. You know, yeah. it's like, I mean, you're getting ready to blow up a Gamma Bomb and some teenage kid in a hot rod is, you know, able to drive past you while playing a harmonica. You know, so it's like, really? And this, I know Dr. Sartorius or whatever his name, he, he actually... Uh, I keep wanting to think of Mr. Sardonicus, the the uh, William Castle movie, but Dr. Sartorius, uh, you know, he he just he, because he helped pay for it, he gets to just walk around in the power plant. I'm sorry, I don't think that's how that works, you know. <laughs> and also, just like yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. But also, like, why would you like? What was he hoping to do? Like, was he just like, like, hmm, this place is kind of dirty. I think, you know, they could really scrub this. Or I, I don't like the way that piston is, like, well, it's like, wait, why are you there alone? Like, what are you right. expecting to get? Right, right. It's like, you know, I know it's like, and, and I know Dr. Phosphorus is like all mad on about what happened to him. It's like, dude, take a look at what you did. What did the city do that, you know, it's like, you, what did the, you're the idiot that was there, you know, it's like, because they talked you into backing the, you know, the, power plant you're taking it out well just go kill the councilman and call it good if that's you know if that's (laughs) if you know because i mean you know we got the norman osborne looking dr bell uh that you know don't trust any guy with that haircut okay that whatever that weird cornrow weave uh that norman and and harry osborne have don't trust those guys you know and and dr bell looks like he's like norman osborne's cousin or something so that that guy's yeah that guy can't be any good right so (laughs) you know but uh yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's a great comic book origin. I will say, I don't know if the science checks out, but the comic book science of the silicon like going up in the 
periodic chart to become phosphorus. That's pretty. That's pretty clever. I got to give Engelhart some some uh, props for that. It probably makes no scientific sense, but like you said, it makes comic scientific sense, and that's all we care about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have any other notes for this first chapter. I just, I, it was entertaining. I think Sertori, or Phosphorus is just a visually striking villain. He's a guy that you definitely want to see more of. And, and you're right, some of the art that, that Simonson brings to this, he looks terrific. God, now I can't. I can't unsee the Mars attacks thing now, like with the the, the skeleton, like the the jaw without the lips and the big eyeballs and everything. That's all I see. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking, I, I, I'm thinking more of the cards versus the movie. But you know, but not that the, the movie's fun. But I'm I'm just thinking more of the the, the, the trading cards. So <laughs> I will say one thing that I want to point out because it'll come up in in the comic I'm getting ready to to synopsize uh, here is. Uh, that Bruce has a study that he goes and ponders and thinks that's a recreation of his father's study. That's like uh, you know old rich man leather and and wood and you know it's not plastic like the uh, and and modern like the rest of the Wayne Foundation building. Which I, I need to find out you know where this might be right around when that Wayne foundation building debuted, because I know there was, there was a Wayne foundation building that was actually originally called the Alfred foundation when they killed Alfred off the first time, God help us. And then when Alfred came back from the dead through the whole weird outsider storyline, they renamed it the Wayne foundation. And, uh, that building was just generic. It had no real design, different artists drew it different ways, but Right around this period, we got that look that's got the, the, the tree growing up through the middle of it and uh, that penthouse uh, on that distinctive Frank Lloyd Wright-type penthouse on top of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and this is around the same time that Mego made a toy of the Wayne Foundation building, and it had that same look on the box that Neil Adams drew. So I don't know if this is – I'd like to pin down exactly when this particular building appeared, but it was around this time. And from then on, that's the look of the Wayne Foundation building from the rest of the through the rest of the comic, you know, pre-crisis comic run. Uh, but it's interesting. Just make we'll put a pin in the fact that he has this man cave in in this issue, and we'll get to something different in the next issue. <laughs> yeah. <really. laughs> All right. Let's take a quick promo break again, and then we'll be back with the next issue. You've heard the myths and sagas. You've read the comics. You've seen the films. Now you can experience the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more in a completely new way. Ere the battle be resolved, let the Thunder God prevail. Thor will crumble under my power, the power of Loki. I am the will and the way. I am all father. And none shall say me nay. Donald Blake, have you forgotten that we have a dinner date tonight? Join me, Tom Harris, almost every Thursday for Radio Free Asgard. Every episode we take a look at a new chapter in the lives of your favorite mythological heroes. From the Iron Age of Europe through the Bronze Age of Comics, the Marvel movies and beyond. All that and silly voices too. Come join us. RadioFreeAsgard.com. Detective Comics number 470 was covered dated June 1977, but according to Mike's Amazing World, it was on sale March 29, 1977. 
On this cover by Jim Apparel, atop the railing in a nuclear power plant, Batman swings into Dr. Phosphorus, punching him off and sending him to the radioactive material below. Phosphorus cries, Batman, you fool! I'm radioactive! You've beaten me, but my deadly touch is killing you! So what did you think of this one, Ryan? Well, it kind of spoils the ending. <laughs> I mean, when the villain says, I'm defeated, right on the cover, it's like, all right, skip the first 20 pages. Yeah. <laughs> right, I hadn't even thought of that, but you're right. <laughs> I, I like this cover, but I will admit, and I, I hate to say this because I love Jim Aparo. I mean, he's one of my all-time favorite comic artists. I do feel that this is a little – it seems a little rushed for him. Batman's musculature is not as defined as you usually see with Aparo. And Phosphorus, I think, should be a little bit smaller than Batman, but like his head seems bigger and other parts of him seem bigger. But it's still Jim Aparo, so I, you know, even on his off days, he's better than like 95% of other comic artists. So I, you know, I, I, I'm not really complaining, but it's just not, it's not the best Jim Aparo cover. And now that you point out the fact that it ruins the comic <laughs> to a point, I, 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 I gotta take another, uh, knock it down another peg or two. But yeah, I guess maybe, you know, Julius Schwartz was probably like, well, you had him getting defeated by Phosphorus last time. You gotta have Batman winning this time, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I don't think that this is the best Jim Aparo cover, but it's not bad. It's fine. It's it's an action pad cover. We see Batman swooping in, landing a punch or kick. And, yeah. And yeah, uh, Phosphorus is kind of like falling down, but you're right. He does seem a little bit like too big. Uh, it, it's not quite as dynamic or grizzled as the interior art shows him, but uh, it's fine. It's good. So the inside, we have the master plan of Dr. Phosphorus, writer Steve Englehart, artist Walt Simonson, inker Al Milgram, colorist Jerry Serpe, and the editor, although he's uncredited here in the credits, is Julius Schwartz. In a darkened building, Batman surprises one at criminal Smiley Royal in the middle of his safe cracking. A panicked Smiley escapes by leaping through a large window and runs wildly through the alley below. But of course, the Dark Knight catches up to him. Batman gives the despondent royal a lesson on how Gotham is the finest city in the country, but is interrupted by a bespeckled official who handles him a subpoena to appear before the grand jury. Police arrive to take royal away, and Batman pays a visit to Gotham General Hospital to check on his friends Alfred Pennyworth and Commissioner Jim Gordon, still recovering from the effects of Dr. Phosphorus's water supply poisoning a week earlier. While Alfred waits on the slightly more ill Gordon, Batman asks the commissioner if he knows anything about the subpoena. Gordon suspects boss Rupert Thorne, head of the city council himself, who has tried to get Gordon to clamp down on Batman before. Alfred notices bandages bunched up beneath Batman's cowl, another gift from Dr. Phosphorus. Dr. Bell, also a member of the city council, barges in and questions both Batman's medical prowess and his effectiveness as a crime fighter. He admits to Batman it was he who asked to have him subpoenaed and that the rest of the council readily agree. As Bell threatens to shut down Batman for good, the Cape Crusader abruptly swings out of the window. At Gotham's Spring Memorial Arena, a rock band takes her final bow without knowing how final it will be. The front man begins to cough as the voice of Dr. Phosphorus comes across the massive speakers. His horrifying face then appears above the crowd via the band's laser projection equipment. He tells the doomed audience his poisonous body has tainted the arena's air conditioning system. The crowd has only three minutes to live. Across town at the Wayne Foundation building, Batman takes a secret elevator to the brand new Batcave he has installed beneath the tower. Using an abandoned WPA subway project from the 30s, Batman has brought his headquarters to his new home at last. With the help of Alfred and Robin, they move the equipment and trophies from beneath Wayne Manor, including the giant penny and robot T-Rex. 
Batman's comfort in his old but new home soon turns pensive when he realizes that the very Gotham he has sworn to protect has turned against him. He passes a Geiger counter in his equipment, which begins to alarm. He then realizes Dr. Phosphorus was not just covered in normal flames, but radioactive ones. His burns are more serious than he thought. His ruminations are interrupted by a hotline call from Chief O'Hara, who informs Batman that his call must be strictly off the books. O'Hara and the police have been ordered by the city council to not work with the Batman, despite his years of service to Gotham. O'Hara tells Batman about the tragedy at the arena, but Batman only asks where the best sources of radioactivity are in town. A bat boat ride later in the Cape Crusader is at the nuclear power plant that Boss Thorne himself helped build. He finds the workers there less than receptive to the visit, having also gotten orders from the city to keep the mass vigilante out. He makes his leave but vows to return. A night or two later, Bruce Wayne's yacht is in nearby waters, hosting a party of Gotham's elite, including Councilmen Thorne and Bell, and a lovely stranger by the name of Silver St. Cloud. Bruce and Silver are instantly flirtatious with each other, despite her negligent date, Davy. Reluctantly, Bruce begs off to attend to other guests, but actually dons cape, cowl, and scuba gear and swims toward the power plant. He has an hour until dinner is served at his party. Just enough time for Batman to go into action. The masked manhunter sneaks past the guards and calls out Phosphorus. It doesn't take long for the glowing gargoyle to respond, attacking from above. The two engage in battle, but this time Batman is prepared in a radioactive-resistant version of his costume. Phosphorus instantly regrets not killing his foe earlier, his flames no longer giving him the edge. He leaps away to escape, kicking a pursuing Batman in the process. As a well-thrown bat rope saves the hero's life, Phosphorus grabs for a nearby beam, but his glowing hands burn through, sending him plummeting to the reactor below. A triumphant Batman only briefly laments his enemy's demise, rationalizing he no doubt deserved it. He still is left wondering if the madman had something to do with his city turning against him. The guests on the Wayne yacht notice police boats speeding to the plant while Bruce himself re-enters their midst. He and Silver rekindle their mating ritual, but when the savvy Miss St. Cloud strokes Bruce's hair, she notes that it's curiously wet. So what did you think of this one, Ryan? I like this issue. I liked it a whole lot. Um, on the first page, mine says the colors were by Marshall Rogers for this issue, not Jerry Survey. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> I don't understand. I know, that, I know that Mike's Amazing said it was Jerry Serpe, but my copy says Marshall Rogers did the color for this issue right on the front page. That is so weird. It's like where did the, where did these particular versions of this this comic come from? Like I've got the original here. Let's see what it says. It says Jerry Serpe in the in the credits of the original actual copy of Detective Comics number four seventy. So on the bottom of that caption it says aided and abetted by color man Jerry Serpe. Yes. So mine says yes. Marshall Rogers. <laughs> so they rewrote that. Okay, this is weird. So he recolored this one, but they don't credit him as recoloring the f- the previous issue in this reprint issue. But the colors look the same. It doesn't look like it's two different colorists. So, so I wonder if they kept the they accidentally kept the credit in your first issue, but when they reprinted it in Strange Apparitions, they corrected it. Maybe Marshall Rogers did recolor it for the book you got, but they kept the old credit. In the first one. They only changed the credit on one page and not the other two. That's weird. Because I would guess this is is the same colorist, and I'm thinking it's probably Marshall Rogers. It's just weird that they corrected the – or they rewrote the caption on one page, but not all of them. Wait a minute. No, no, I'm going back. Okay, on the first page of the previous issue, I'm sorry, the first page of 469, when when Alfred is falling down, it says M. Rogers, colorist, but – 
the on page one of the second story, the origin of Doctor Phosphorus. There it says Jerry Serpe colors. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's, what, that's the one they forgot to change. Mm, well, see, yeah, Jerry Serpe is credited on DC Universe as the colorist of the second. Uh, let's see what it says on uh, – yeah, on, on DC Universe for this issue, 470, it says abated by color man Marshall Rogers. So I think maybe Jerry Serpe was the original colorist and Marshall Rogers recolored everything, but apparently maybe he didn't recolor the origin of Dr. Phosphorus story, the second story. Or which he is, did, and that's just the one the, – the title that they forgot to re – they forgot right. to change the name. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, reprints. Hey, at least, at least, you know, I mean, one thing we're going to get into when we cover Neil Adams comics is, <laughs> oh, God, those modern Batman illustrated by Neil Adams trade paperbacks drive me insane where he went back and redrew some of it. It's I hate that. I'll just be flat out honest. When I got that first one, I was so pissed because, mm. I mean, modern I, nothing against Neil Adams. I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the stories he's written. It, you know, it, it, I, I think they're kind of bonkers. Uh, they're fun, in a, I guess, in a weird, weird way. But you know, I got to give him credit for doing his own thing, and they actually still look good. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but they don't look like Neil Adams in 1970 and 1968. You know, it's it, it, it's not the same, and it's not if you're wanting the classic story. You know, it's yeah, and of course, there's a big controversy among you know uh, how comics get recolored like classic comics you know when when they recolor them with all the new you know uh, photoshop effects and and all the different gradations and a lot of people hate it you know when they take a jack kirby comic and make it look like it's painted or you know so i mean it you know we're, it's a slippery slope but uh so here we are again it's it's not quite that bad but we're like who who are we talking about here so <laughs> But yeah, this. Uh, Getting yeah, back to your question, though, I liked this issue. Uh, Good. There was a lot of like, there was one big hang up in the middle of it that I was like, wait, what? But we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, right from the beginning, I love the layout of the first page um, with the, the thief like breaking into the safe and everything and how it just goes to black and white at the top corner before he sees Batman. Yeah, that you know that's different than the the original comic. Just kept the same colors. Mm. It wasn't it wasn't black and white in that that one upper right panel. Yeah, so. Interesting. I, yeah, I love this opening scene, and man, Simonson really sells how frantic Smiley Royal is to get away from Batman. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, <laughs> he's sweaty. He he jumps through a huge glass window. I mean, yeah. But but what did you think about Batman's uh, civic speech? There? I, I was going to say his strange civic pride. <laughs> This is my city royal, the best in the country, and maybe the world, in spite of the rats that live here. I've sworn to keep it clean of rats. That's my right. It's like, really? This is this is your thing? It's like, yeah, I'm a New Yorker. I'm the only one who gets to make fun of New York, but it's like... Yeah, this is before Gotham was the urban shithole that it's, yeah, exactly. it's been portrayed at since... since well, Dark Knight Returns, I guess, but really the the nail in the coffin was well, Batman Year One was even worse, and then uh, and then the Tim Burton movie, you know, I mean, obviously the Anton first Gotham City of, you know, as he said, like hell erupted through the sidewalks, you know, yeah, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, it's this is this is uh, an, a, a, a a friendlier kinder gentler Gotham City, uh, but yeah, it is that was almost an Adam West like. Uh, this a speech, you know, because every once in a while Adam West would get like agitated, like particularly with Frank Gorshin's Riddler, and he'd get a little, he'd get a little for, more forceful with him, you know, and and actually raise his voice, you know, and you, so you could kind of almost hear Adam West 
uh, say that. So I thought I thought that was kind of fun. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I love the. Uh, the, the the official that comes and gives the subpoena is total a, a Walt Simonson character. He's uh, with his glasses and you know. He, he reminds me of Slugworth from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate oh. Factory. Oh like, my gosh, he does. Something about like the glasses, kind of the weird shape of his head and the hat and everything. Yeah, that's what yeah. I see. I can He's hear like, that I voice. Need, I need I need you to get me an everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> <laughs> I worked with a guy that looked like Slugworth, okay. and and oddly enough, he's German. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and that movie, I think, was filmed. Wasn't it filmed in Germany? I think. I think Willy Wonka mm-hmm. was was filmed in Germany. So yeah, I, he looked like I, I was pretty. I, I mean, I he looked so much like him that I had to like double check and make sure that like you know he didn't have like a second life as a you know as an actor early on because he was right around the age wasn't totally off. So I was like. I was like, this is really weird. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, he does. He does look like Slugworth. You're right. <laughs> when we go to the uh, hospital and and Batman like flies in there, I like the the whole thing with Alfred kind of manipulating it so that he can be in the same room as Gordon. This gives Batman the excuse to check on them both without <laughs> making it seem strange that he's checking on the Bruce Wayne's butler. Um, mm-hmm. It also gives Alfred the chance to, to listen in on any intel that Gordon might receive, and I like that Batman makes note of it. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's proud of Alfred. He's like, this was clever, way to go. You're, this is this is why I trust you with my life. Right, right. And you got to figure this is this is Alfred before he was really Bruce Wayne's surrogate father from childhood. You know, this is this is the Alfred that that showed up at Wayne Manor to, to, to Butler for Bruce Wayne because his father had, and then him and Dick got to figure out how to try to get rid of this guy. And then he, you know, stumbles onto the fact that they're Batman and Robin and, you know, basically saves Bruce life. Cause he got shot that night or something. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I, I love this part and it's, it's back in the day when, you know, uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne were known to be acquaintances and, and uh, you know, Gordon was friends with both Batman and Bruce Wayne and, and Alfred, Batman knew of Alfred through Bruce Wayne, and it's you know it's it's a lot like the you know, I keep talking about the TV show, but it's a lot like the continuity of the of the TV show, where especially in season three, somehow Alfred kept getting involved in all the adventures because they just loved Alan Napier and just wanted to give him more to do, I guess, and and he was great in it, and it's like you know there's this one episode where Gordon. Gordon and O'Hara show up at the end with Alfred, and there's no real explanation. Why the hell is Alfred with them? You know, it's just like, why, why is Bruce Wayne's butler like an adjunct police officer now? I don't understand, but it's just like he's one of the leads, and he's one of the regulars, and he shows up. You know, so it's it's kind of that same thing here. And around this time, they'll even be like, uh, there's a there's a, a, a Gordon and Alfred story I remember in a in Batman Family. It actually ties back into Alfred. We talked about the outsider. It ties into Alfred becoming the outsider again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, so, yeah, so Alfred and, and Gordon actually like were like uh, almost like this strange occasional buddy cop uh, <laughs> feature. <laughs> and we thought it was ridiculous that they went to a baseball game together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so maybe it's I had forgotten about that. So yeah, Max Allen Collins was was calling back to the uh to the uh, Bronze Age uh connection between uh, Gordon and Alfred, yeah. So <laughs> I do notice that it's kind of weird that, you know, Alfred notices uh that Batman has bandages bunched up under his cowl, but Simonson doesn't really draw that. He just uh mm-hmm. he just draws a lot of, 
of cape like where Batman's capes bunched up. But uh, I will say one thing: Simonson's art in this one, it's more like to me, it's more recognizably Simonson, but it is a little loose in places. There, the the Batman's left hand on the upper uh, the first panel on page five. That thing is huge. I mean, it's the size of it's bigger than his head, and it and it it's a little bit closer to the camera than some of the rest of him. But it shouldn't be that big, especially in a non-action scene. You know, it's like the forced perspective isn't there. So it's the, the art in this is. I mean, it's still great because it's still Simonson, but it's it's pretty loose uh, in 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 places, and it doesn't seem like Milgram's inks are like he's not like uh, inks aren't as tight and as 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 uh, I won't say overpowering, but they're not as present in this one as they were in, in the last one. Uh, what did you think of the uh, the rock concert scene, man? That's I mean, if you that's pretty gruesome, man. This, this was my this was my what the hell moment, uh, my WTF moment. Um, first of all, is the rock band playing Tutti Fruity? Yeah, <laughs> I think they are. The one, the one lyric we get from them is a wabababoobab a wabam boom. <laughs> it's like, yeah, really? Are they doing a Little Richard cover? Yeah, <laughs> um, I was like, that seems strange, but okay, I'll, I'll roll with it. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, oh gosh, he's attacking this arena. He's like, you've got three minutes to live. It's like, all right, Batman, you better get your button gear. Next, nope, he's going down to the back cave. He's just chilling, like totally forgetting about him. And then he later on, he gets a call from Chief O'Hara, um, who tells him he's like, yeah, they, yeah, Doctor Phosphorus killed everybody at the Spring Arena. I was like, whoa. Like, all those thousands of people are dead. Like we did. Like he gave them the "you'll be dead in three minutes," and then the next time we're, we see anything is an hour later. They're all gone. I was like, "Dude, <laughs> Doctor Phosphorus is like." I mean, he's instantly like probably at this point. You know, he's you know before the Joker. I mean, the Joker was back to killing people at this point. But before the Joker became just the the satanic yeah monster he is now, he's probably the Batman villain with the highest death count just by this issue. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, in, in last, I mean, last issue we didn't really bring this up, but the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm just going to bathe in the city reservoir just to poison everybody. That is freaking evil. I mean, <laughs> just, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, this guy is just a homicidal. He's just insane. I mean, yeah, just, and I mean, he's just out to kill as many people as possible. I mean, that makes him a huge, huge threat. I mean, obviously, but. Uh, you know, when I read that, I couldn't believe it. it's like, you know, and they don't even show like people running out of the building. They basically you get the idea that they're going to trample each other. A lot of people are going to get trampled to death. And I mean, I hate to say this, but the guy kind of looks like Roger Daltrey. And it makes me think, uh, you know, there's a, a few years before the Who concert, which was just up there, you know, just about an hour from me in Cincinnati, you know, unfortunately, uh, where all those people were killed. Uh, and you know, trampled to death, yeah. and and uh, it, it made me think of that, which is not good because that's a real life tragedy. I'm not making light of it at all, but it did come to mind, and it's you got to figure as these people try. I mean, Simonson shows people like running away from that giant skull in the in the you know above them, and uh, there's going to be a lot of people trampled to death, and then the remaining people are all going to die from the from breathing in the poisonous fumes off of, you know, him just standing near the air conditioning unit, which is just, God, that's awful. <laughs> just, ugh. but uh, now to get to this, this is why I wanted to make a point about Bruce Wayne's man cave. There was no mention of it last issue, <laughs> but now we have the bat cave back <laughs> mm-hmm. underneath Wayne Manor and, and Batman, which is great. And I mean, when I, when, you know, when I started reading Batman comics, 
the Bat Cave was under. I mean, I knew it was under Wayne Manor on the TV show, but it's under the Wayne Foundation building, you know, in the comics of the time. And and he tells how Alfred and Robin helped him move it. Well, that had to happen before last issue because Alfred's been in the hospital yep. since last yep. issue. So why didn't he come down to the Bat Cave last issue? Was that like a a thing that Englehart, you know, was like, you know what, we need the Batcave back. Or was that an editorial decision by Schwartz that says, you know, well, yeah, I want to bring the Batcave back, you know. And, of course, Schwartz was the one that made the decision to send Dick off to college and we got to get over this post-TV show slump. we got to go back to basics. We're going to move, send Dick to college. We're going to move Batman and Alfred into the city. And, and he's just going to, you know, sometimes he's not even going to have a Batmobile. Sometimes he's going to have a very, just like a Corvette with a bat head painted on the front of it, you know, and, and uh it's going to be very bat, you know, very uh, lean, you know, bare bones Batman, and and now we're starting to just like eventually Clark Kent went back to working at the Daily Planet, where uh, after being a, a a news anchor, where now we're going back to uh, you know having a Bat Cave. So, but it's it, it's it, which is great, I love it, but at the same time, it's like when when did this happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's kind of odd that they gave him the study that he went to when he could have. Timeline wise, he had the Batcave to go to uh, in the previous issue. It just, I don't think they thought of it yet. So, <laughs> yeah. And growing up, when I did like with like that sort of pop culture, I always liked Batman in the in Wayne Manor, the mansion outside yeah. of the city, and everything with a Batcave underneath it. As I've gotten older, reading more comics and everything, I kind of, I do, I've come to accept and even really like the the sort of secret layers within the Wayne Foundation building and him being in the heart of the city uh, and that kind of connection and everything. But I like what they've done here in both cases. I like that he has kind of replicated the Batcave because you need the Batcave. Batman needs the Batcave. And and it's got to have the accoutrements of that with the giant penny and the dinosaur and stuff like that. It's got to feel like the cave. But I also liked what we had in the last issue with like this private study that he would have, like, furnished in a very kind of old-school style. Kind of, I mean, Bruce comes from old money uh, in most versions of the story, and, and I think, like, he would he would pay respect to his father and his legacy that way, and that would be a place where he could go and get away and just kind of brood on his own. Yeah, I, I kind of like that, too. And, I, you know, I mean, that's that's one thing I did like in, you know, in Batman Begins, they burned down Wayne, the Wayne Manor, and then in the next movie, they've essentially got this version of the Batcave in the Dark Knight, you know? So, <laughs> I, But it's I kinda, just a garage, which yeah, I didn't it, like. Yeah, I didn't like that either, but it, but it, you know, it, at least he's got, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's paying some lip service to this, so, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I did kind of like that, but I do think it's interesting, you know, we are definitely, from his battle last issue, and then uh, in this issue, the fact that you know, Batman just the only reason he finds out he's got radiation burns is because he happens to walk by an active Geiger counter. <laughs> this is not the the always prepared Bat God that would have, you know, checked over his burns, you know, like he would have, you know, known instantaneously that uh that 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 he um that he was, you know, you know, had been burned by radioactivity, but uh yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting. So, <laughs> and, and I mean, it's you gotta have to think about the fact that we, as the readers, we know what how Doctor Phosphorus got his powers and what created him, but Batman at this point doesn't know. Right, so right, definitely. Knows that yeah, some guy who was like on fire. <laughs> but, then we get a call from Chief O'Hara, who your boy. Yeah, that's uh, my boy Stafford Rep right here. He rarely appeared in the comics, uh, and in fact, if we had a Chief O'Hara stand in, it was. Uh, Usually Sergeant Hayner, who had been introduced 
before O'Hara in the comics is the guy who was the the man at the switch of the bat signal uh, who turned the bat signal on. It's and I know in one particular story, Jim Aparo drew Hayner to look like Stafford Rep uh, to look like Chief O'Hara, but they called him Hayner. Uh, but this is no, this is he identifies himself as Chief O'Hara, and you know he's he's calling Batman on the sly because they've already gotten word from the city council they can't work with Batman. And like you said, he's trying to tell Batman about what happened, and Batman's like, "Yeah, but where's the where's the biggest uh, source of radioactivity in this town?" And I kind of feel like Batman like already should know that, and he's he kind of says he does, but you know I think that was just a way for Engelhart to transition from this scene and to show that. You know, Batman's already on trying to actually stop Phosphorus. You know, right, he, he right. now he knows where he's at, so or he's got a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love the look of the Bat Boat on the bottom of page nine. Um, it reminds me of both the the '60s TV show and the animated series version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really sharp. In fact, uh, oddly enough, the, even though I think it, it came out a few years before this, the, I keep talking about Mego, but the the Mego Batcave uh, in the background. It's it's cardboard covered in vinyl, <laughs> and uh, in the background uh, you see uh, the bat boat sitting in water, and it kind of looks a lot like this. So uh, it's it, it's it's got kind of more of a look like this than the actual '60s one. But yeah, it, it evokes both of them pretty well. Yeah, I'm always a I always like it when the bat boat shows up. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it and I, you know I like the the fact that Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne throwing a party on the yacht to kind of cover him. I mean, he goes to all this money, <laughs> spends all this money, gets his yacht out of the dock and invites all these people and all this food. And so he can, you know, sneak away as Batman. Of course, now, you know, you could kind of wonder, could he just like put the bat boat like in the, you know, in the harbor somewhere nearby and swim over. But, but, you know, somebody might notice the bat boat. So this makes this, but I love, I always love that, you know, Bruce Wayne just throws his money at stuff like this. <laughs> I, I love it too as a cover. The one thing that tripped me up was I was like, Doctor Phosphorus just killed like ten thousand people. <laughs> Bruce is delaying his action against him, like taking him down long enough to not only throw a gala party on this pleasure yacht, but also like advertise it, like it's announced in the society pages and everything like that. Like we get the clip on it, everything. It's like this. This might have taken like a few days or a week or something to get everybody there. It's like you're just letting Dr. Phosphorus chill there when you know where he is. Right. And I mean, actually, now that you say that, since he advertised it, what, what would have kept the city councilmen are on this boat? What kept Dr. Phosphorus from just coming and killing everybody on the boat? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's so. <laughs> yeah, but we're thinking. I, I think they. I think honestly, the arena thing. They went. A, they went a, a tad too far. You know. I, I think. I, I, and I think the because they kept it. They don't come out and say that he killed everybody. But I mean, if you, I, I, there's no other way really to read it that he did. But I wonder if that was a comic code thing because you know because back then they couldn't. You know they they couldn't show like massacres in a comic book. You know I mean it's yeah. so I, I don't know if that's something. But of course here on the boat is where we meet Silver St. Cloud, who will figure heavily into Englehart's run. And, of course, Marshall Rogers, uh, when he comes on the book, uh, you know, their their historic run. And, and, you know, this is one of the first love interests that Bruce Wayne has had where they're actually trying to develop. I mean, we know, uh, you know, she could have been a done-in-one in this issue, but we know that she continues on. So... Since we know that, we can go ahead and talk about the fact that, you know, I mean, there haven't really been any 
you know, there's been a few here and there. There was that um, – oh, what was the one lady? I can't think of her name. Was her name Molly Maine or something that was the uh, the redhead in the, the Rachel Ghoul saga that was uh, when they were – I just remember her and Batman skiing together, you yes. know, down slopes and stuff. I can't think of – she was a redhead, and she kind of looked like the way they used to draw Vicky Vale too, which is kind of weird. But but before that, you had Vicky Vale, and but she hadn't been around since like the late 50s, early 60s, and, you know, and then before that you had – Julie Madison, Madison and in the, in the old golden age, like the first year. Yeah. yeah, Linda Page and those 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 characters and and uh, you know that Bruce Wayne was even engaged to Julie Madison at one time and and uh, yeah so so this is the first time that anybody's tried to give Bruce a real love interest in a long time and and he clearly is very interested in her. I mean, he even says that, which I you know is is a nice touch. There's a very you know, there's there's definitely a humanizing element uh, to that, that, you know, Batman actually, you know, it's like, oh, I kind of hate to leave her behind, even though I got to go stop this guy that just killed 10,000 people. But you right. know. <laughs> when I was growing up, I always thought Silver St. Cloud was a bigger deal. Like, I, I hadn't read these comics, this run originally, but like, just I, I remember knowing the name and thinking she was a big deal. And then it's like finding out like, no, she only appeared in this run before the crisis. Like she, she was just kind of, uh, I think, just for these issues. Um, yeah, because it always surprised me that she that her character had never been adapted to one of the movies. Yeah, yeah I mean, Stephen Stephen Englehart. Uh, there's an article in Back Issue, a uh, recent Back Issue, where he's talking about how <laughs> a lot of Batman '89 is cribbed from uh, cribbed from uh, his run um, and uh, the feel of it. And at one time, I think. Uh, in the development of the scripts over the years, and it might have been when Tom Mikowitz was was had written the script uh, for treatment for Batman that Vic, uh, sorry that Silver was the uh, love interest in the story, and uh, I don't know why they switched it to Vicky. Uh, I guess because to have the whole news you know reporter angle, uh, of course the photographer angle, uh, which does work within the story, it gets her and Knox involved, and it gives you a like, little narrative hook of. Of them, you know, of you learning about Batman through them investigating, uh, investigating him. But uh, yeah, but you know, she, yeah, she. It's like other writers didn't want to use her, and like because they felt like this run, although it's brief, it, it there was a certain reverence for it. Now they, it's odd. It's odd because Jerry Conway came on the Batman books in the early '80s. He mined, you know, he brought back. Uh, Rupert Thorne. He brought back spoiler warning. Uh, Hugo Strange characters that were used in this storyline brought back Deadshot, but he didn't bring back Silver St. Cloud, which is I don't know if that was the one you know thing that you know it was like verboten in the DC offices. Oh, you can't bring Silver St. Cloud back, you know, uh, or or what? But it seems kind of weird because there's very rarely do comic writers you know not you know if there's an opportunity to bring somebody back because they introduced. Conway and the Doug Minch introduced reintroduced Vicky Vale and Alfred's daughter Julia and 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 Selena Kyle became more of a uh, love interest through initially through Lynn Ween but she was there too so there was like three different and then Nocturna there were like four different love interests for Batman in the in the in the late eighty or the mid eighties pre crisis but Silver Saint Cloud never resurfaced which is kind of weird you know she didn't until they did the uh, till they did their sequel series so. Um, the uh, dark detective series. Yep. So uh, yeah, it's it. Yeah, you're right. It's like, she's got this like status as like one of the, you know, there's Catwoman Talia and then maybe silver St. Cloud as, and, and I, I mean, 
some people would say Vicki Vale more because of the movie than the comics. Uh, you know, it, but yeah, she's got very few appearances. <laughs> and I like right from, I mean, we're jumping right to the end that the fact that she notices Bruce's hair is wet. I mean, that sets up, she's no dummy. She's not just another, you know, society, you know, girl who's going to fall for the rich playboy and everything like that. She's, she's got a brain in her head. She might be a little bit of a detective herself. And that's kind of foreshadowing what might be coming up in previous or, or in future episodes with, of them together. So. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a nice setup, and uh, yeah, we'll get into that at the at the end. But uh, um, yeah, when when Batman goes to confront Phosphorus, I, I did notice that the art, you know, it is more loose. It's not as detailed as last time. We don't get that texture of the bone and everything like we got. But uh, and in fact, I think this kind of interpretation of his look tends to stick. He doesn't appear too many more times in pre-crisis, and he, you know, but uh, you know, it, it's definitely this kind of look from this issue that kind of takes hold. And uh, a little bit from the Jim Aparo covers, too. But uh, So Batman's got a radioactive-resistant costume now, but yet his lower face is still exposed. <laughs> yeah, not sure you understand how radiation works, Stevie. But. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of like uh, uh, Stan Lee never understood how radiation worked, right? Or magnetism, right, right, and as, right. as covered by uh, Andy and Steve on the, on the Fantastic Cast R.I.P. Uh, but, uh, yeah... Uh, <laughs> I will ask this though. I mean, the the fight scene's fine. It's kind of brief, really, uh, considering you know the buildup. But uh, but the, you know that's fine. I mean, it's you know they they're, 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 you know we had a good fight last time. I mean, it, it takes a couple pages, but but I've always wondered this: if phosphorus hands could melt through that beam, then why didn't his feet just melt through everything he stood on and <laughs> he just like end up in the center of the earth? You know, <laughs> because plot. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I will go ahead and say, you know, Phosphorus was the was the uh, the basis for the character of Blight on Batman Beyond, Doctor Phosphorus, and you know they definitely took they took basically the the powers and the look and took it in a whole different direction. The, the character of Derek Powers was this you know this billionaire you know industrialist this this unscrupulous. Uh, almost Lex Luthor type, but he was a little more unhinged than than Lex. And then he became this, you know, radioactive X-ray man. That and they actually did have to the, you know, him. His powers continued to develop his condition to where he was like literally melting through everything. So it was like the the eventual progression of of Doctor Phosphorus in a way. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's kind of interesting that he just he grabs a hold of that beam and then it instantly melts and then he falls into the core. And it's like, well, you know, why didn't you melt through the floor before? But okay, that's okay. <laughs> uh, so what did you think of the the ending and, and Batman's reaction to him him dropping to his apparent death? I mean, I don't know how much I can I can stay to my. Batman doesn't kill or allow, you know, just not save people. I mean, if he, if he lets him die, I mean, what kind of life did Dr. Phosphorus have? And what kind of, like, I mean, he was basically just a, a walking cancer. Right. Um, it, it's grisly. I mean, it wasn't Batman's fault. Um, and could Batman have saved him? That's even kind of iffy, but. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 I, it, I just think. I think it's funny. He says he, he, you know, if anybody deserved it, he did. Is what he said. <laughs> it's it's almost a fitting end for his kind, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but they're going, you know. There's some back to basics element about 
about this run. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't trip up on stuff like that. I mean, Batman didn't, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not quite, I'm not going to kill you. I don't have to save you. You know, it's not quite that, but, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of around the same lines, but yeah, like you said, what could he have done if you threw a bat rope at him? It probably would have just melted, right. uh, you know, as it, as it touched him. So yeah, I just, I just thought it was kind of interesting that they even have Batman comment on it at this, at this phase. That was kind of, that was a little bold for this time for this era of Batman to go back to the kind of that way of thinking, you know, right. uh, that, you know, it's, and it's, it's kind of funny though, but the way he said, it's a terrible way to go. It made me think of when, uh, oh, uh, Jill St. John, uh, you know, disguised as Robin, fell into the uh, the atomic pile in the Batcave in the very first episodes of Batman '66, and Adam West says, "What a terrible way to go, go!" You know. <laughs> <sighs> it made me think of that. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, we get back to the yacht and. Uh, and Bruce's, uh, you know, I, I love it how he timed it. You know, he timed it just in time for dinner. And it's like, hey, everybody, there's a buffet. You know, go get something to eat. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> I've been here the whole time. I've just been getting supper, getting dinner ready for you guys. So, uh, you know, it makes it I mean, it's a it's a great alibi cover for Bruce, you know, other than the fact that he got wet and silver notices it. And, yeah, I, I love that. She's a smart gal, like you said, and and uh, and I kind of wondered the police are running over to the to the power plant. What are they? Are they searching for his body? Or are they? What are they going to do? How are they going to search the power plant for any signs of Doctor Phosphorus? It kind of you know it's kind of interesting to think why they're even heading over there in a way, but I I don't I don't know. So <laughs> I didn't yeah, think I, about it. I just liked it. Yeah, I did too. It's not. It's one of those things, you know. It's one of those things like, yeah, any story you can like pick holes in and this and that. And but it's like, I don't want to do that with these. And I, I think there's so much good in them. And they're so they're so fun. And and there's such a there's such an energy. I mean, because I mean, we were past like the O'Neill Adams era. You know, Adams had pretty much stopped drawing regular comics. We still had some scripts from Denny O'Neill every once in a while in this era. David V. Reed, who was a golden age writer who came back, he was writing a a lot of uh, Batman stories at this time and they're, and they're fine, but they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of like, it's just like an issue to issue. Like here's an issue of Batman. You know, it's like, here's the, here we did one this month. Here you go. You know, that type thing. And this, this is establishing something. This is Englehart bringing a lot of the Marvel energy into a Batman comic. I mean, the subplots, I mean, there really weren't subplots in Batman comics before. Mm -hmm. So now we've got the subplot of, of the city council and the city turning against Batman and Rupert Thorne, you know, it's literally going to be a thorn in Batman's side. And you got Silver St. Cloud, who might be on to there's something very strange about Bruce Wayne, who she's very much attracted to. So, I mean, the, you know, he's in these two issues, he set up his run. And, I mean, this is a marvelizing. I always talked about how Byrne marvelized Superman, you know, in a way. But when he took over, um, when he did Man of Steel and Superman titles, well, Englehart's marvelizing Batman ten years earlier, right yeah. here. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I really love it. So, you got anything more to say about this one in particular? I don't. Um, let's. Uh, we've already taken a couple of promo breaks, so let's just jump into the listener feedback. Uh, we're going to do it a little bit faster because our last episode was a listener feedback special where we made this announcement that we were changing. Pretty much all of the feedback was kind of about that, so uh, it doesn't work to just read all of the comments about that. Um, but we'll we'll do like kind of a few little quick hits. 
Um, the following people left comments on the website post for our last episode. Siskoid, uh, who mentioned that Batman Nightcast survived my murderous touch. Yes, <laughs> I I had recently canceled my Power of Fishnets book and, er, podcast and said, you know, uh, stay tuned for a special announcement. And then I made the same warning with Nightcast. I was like, we've got a new episode. There's a special announcement about the future of the show. Now I'm just going to do that with every podcast I release. <laughs> uh, just, just see it. Like, oh, is this the week he cancels? Give me those Star Wars. Oh, I don't know. Um, David Os Gutierrez commented. Dan S. Dan Doherty. Gothos Mansion. Paul Hicks, who asked if this feedback would be part of the next feedback feedback special. God. Anyway, <laughs> Martin Gray, Jimmy McGlinchey, Diablo Frank, and Michael Bailey, who both talked a lot about the Dragnet movie and the raps from the 90s movies that you somehow inspired, based on what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's like when the Monster the monster Squad rap, which I love, 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 love the Monster Squad, one of my favorite films, but when, when that rap comes up, I'm like, oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we got comments from Andy Leyland, Tim Price, and Groovy Mike Decker. Uh, overall, I think we, we would both say that the, the feedback was very positive, very supportive for this new direction that we're taking, but not all 100%. Um, there were a few people who were disappointed that we weren't going to be covering the Jim Starlin run. Uh, Diablo Frank, as much as mentioned, that was the only thing that he wanted to hear. That was the only reason he was tuning into the <laughs> podcast. Um, sorry. Uh, and for those of you who wanted us to stick with the wretchedness of the old format just because it was easy for you to listen to and you didn't care about our pain, sorry about that too. Right. Um, but at least one person privately messaged us that he was going to unsubscribe to the podcast, and not necessarily because of the change. He just kind of told us, "I don't have time anymore," which was okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like it wasn't somebody who had ever interacted with us or ever left comments, so I, I didn't know that he was a listener. And then to find but, out that he was not going to be a listener anymore, I'm like, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> have a good life." <laughs> I, I, I guess I respect the fact that he felt like, you know, he, he felt the need to uh, to contact us and tell us that. Uh, I, I do appreciate the, the concern on your part. But, uh, yeah, you know, so, I mean, that was it was nice, I guess. It just yeah, I, I, I have stopped listening to podcasts and not just not told anybody. You know, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, if you want to, I, haven't I mean, listened, I, I haven't listened to one of Cisco's shows in three years. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it, it, was, it was sort of like getting a, a breakup letter, like, it's not you, it's me, and then being like, I didn't know we were dating. <laughs> uh, you know, I actually kind of had that happen one time. I, 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 I did. I, you know, it's like, I, and not the, time that, not the time I talked about on the FW Records in the comment section, a different time, that where, where I didn't know that I was quote-unquote dating somebody because i was dating somebody else so i did and it was cindy and I, this other <laughs> girl thought we were dating or something i don't know what it was but it, yeah so it, it can happen it can happen so. <laughs> sending out those mixed signals buddy i uh, guess <laughs> no wonder she keeps punching you right. uh martin gray said he wanted us to plumb many more obscure off-the-wall books not just like the marshall rogers neil adams not just the famous books it's like Martin, what are you doing to us? Do you understand the whole point of this? Yeah, this is a, this is an exercise in finding our joys. Like, hey, I know I like this. I mean, you know, even though we know we liked the Inglehart 
more more so the Inglehart Rogers run, but you know this is the beginning with with Simonson. It's Walt Simonson, like we're going to complain. Although I did complain about that Walt Simonson cover and got some grief about it, I know. But uh, but 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 uh, it was Ed Hannigan and Walt Simonson. So and but, not, but not to say that we won't do that type of thing because I'll be honest, I hadn't read these two issues. I knew this story just from like the well, the next issue kind of recaps it. So I kind of knew the events of the story, but I hadn't read these issues until a couple of days ago. Mm, yeah, and I mean, we found things that were like, yeah, you know, the, the there were some things in this that were kind of like, does that quite work? No, not, but the you know, the overall feeling still is we enjoy the heck out of this. So, I mean, it's just like you know, it's just like anything. We're gonna, I mean, we're not gonna just blindly just we love everything, everything's great, and I mean, even in a Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams story, we're probably gonna you know comment when this is. It's like, well, I don't know if this works. That's a little strange. I, I wasn't real crazy about this aspect of it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna come at it with a critical eye but also with the idea knowing that we know the 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 eventual package it's just it's just like watching an MCU movie they're all good right. you know they're all enjoyable but there's different levels of 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 the quality of the I mean well actually the quality is all pretty much the same but there's there's different things in different movies that you know that that's like well this doesn't you know yeah I don't know about this scene and I wish they hadn't done this but over you know overall you still like it so it's kind of like that you know it's it's and it's not, you know, we're like, oh, God, we're just, you know, we don't want to. And you'll get more content out of us, too, because we're actually going to look forward to talking about these books. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest beneficiary of this change in our format is Michael and Andy from the Overlooked Dark Knight podcast. Because uh, they, 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 they have said that they were kind of jonesing. Like at one point before they even did our their show, they were talking about covering some of the post-crisis material. Uh, before we announced our show, and then when we did that, kind of that threw up their plans. Um, and then they've still covered some of the double dipped with some of the same stuff that we have done. Um, but I think like they were, Michael was really interested in doing the Starlin run. So as soon as we said we're not doing this, I'm like, yeah, I open the door, go for it, yeah, dive in. So it sounds like uh, if people want to hear the Starlin run from his first couple of issues through Ten Nights of the Beast and all the way up to uh, Death in the Family. The Overlooked Dark Knight is going to be the place to go because it sounds like they are really interested in doing those. Um, you know what this is like? This is like Miracle on 34th Street when Santa Claus starts telling people, it's like, oh, well, we don't have that. Go over to Gimbel's and get that <laughs> toy, you know, and, and and all this, there's all this, you know, kerfuffle in the office about, well, he's telling them he's sending them to the competitor. And then the Mr. Macy's like, yeah, but it's given us such a good word of mouth and people love the fact that. We care about them, not that you know, not that we care about. We don't care about downloads. We care about our listeners. We want them to have the Starlin run. So you go over and listen to the Overlooked Dark Knight right now. <laughs> exactly. And God, no kidding, I I found it hilarious. I I knew or I heard that they were thinking about doing um, Son of the Demon at, at some point, but that was the next thing on our list. Like from the beginning, when I laid out everything, like that was the that was the next issue after the Batman Detective books that we covered. So, if we had kept on going with the old form, that would have been episode twenty five. And if we had recorded it the last time, that that episode would have come out a day before their episode on Son of the Demon came out. It would have been like Deep Impact and Armageddon all over again. <laughs> <laughs> or a volcano in Dante's Peak. I remember there were just a Ex bunch of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it, you know, and it's kind of I, I really enjoyed their Son of the Demon episode. Listened to it, and and uh, but I will say I think they were I wouldn't have been nearly as high on it as they were. Just real briefly, I I like that. I I enjoy it, and I enjoyed it at the time. And I'll be honest, you know, there's 
there's a, you know, uh, there's some scenes in that book that, you know, when I bought when I was like 12 or 13, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, Talia. Whoa. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't, the, the, the Bat- Batman, like, like staying gone from Gotham that long and just like, you know, yep, I'll join up with you. Let's go do this. That's like, that, that, that takes me too far out of, of my Batman headcanon to, 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 to put that story up too high, you know, that, that, that I just can't swallow that aspect of it myself, but you know, Hey, I'm glad they, they loved it and I'm glad they, they had great fun talking about it. And it, it was a, it was a joy to listen to. So if anybody hasn't listened to that yet, definitely go that, that, I mean, that's definitely like a Nightcast era, previous Nightcast era story that uh, Michael and Andy covered and they did a fantastic job on it. So definitely go check that episode out. Uh, I think that's all we got for this one, though. Um, next episode, because we kind of scrambled to do these two, I think the next episode we will pick up right where we left off and cover Detective Issues 471 and 472, uh, which furthered the Steve Englehart run, but bring aboard the legendary Marshall Rogers as his artistic collaborator. So I I am really looking forward to that, and I think everybody should be. Oh, yes. I am, I am jonesing for that. Let's do it. Batman Nightcast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Batman Nightcast. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at SupermatesPod or email me at SupermatesPodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider audience. Batman Nightcast is also available on Spotify. This podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed here belong solely to us. All music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening.